Thank you. Good morning, all. I won't ask you for a hearty or good morning because uh, actually the spirit of what's going on here is pretty unique, isn't it? Uh, it's not an accident that the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, visited us this morning. Um, two and a half weeks ago, I received a call from Marshall um, asking if I would speak this morning, and I began immediately praying to discern what word the Lord might have for us as a congregation, knowing we'd be in a season of transition. And um, the Lord spoke really clear to me and gave me a word and uh, I came to church that Sunday morning, which was June the 9th, which was Pastor Mike's last Sunday. And um, I'll speak more about what Mike said and about what Chris said last week and about the songs that Jeff led last Sunday, how they all intertwine and weave into this glorious fabric of a prophetic word that God is giving us as a congregation during this season of transition. But what the Lord spoke to me two and a half weeks ago, was to speak this morning on the 23rd of June about, um, and I've really struggled with the title, I finally settled on one thing, living in the presence of the Lord. One thing, living in the presence of the Lord. Now, I could have decided on abiding in the presence of the Lord or dwelling in the presence of the Lord or beholding the beauty of the Lord or... Um, even uh, being at home in the presence of the Lord, that phrase, being at home in the presence of God, that, you know, that's a huge thing. But the, the text that I've chosen is taken from uh, Psalm 27, verse 4, one of the spiritual disciplines that I have maintained for 50 years of life and ministry has been to memorize Scripture. And one of the Psalms that I've memorized is the 27th Psalm. And verse 4, and I know it, best in the King James, and I can't remember how I ask you to put it up for me, but one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and following, when uh, Mary and Martha, Jesus came to their house, the house of Lazarus. And you remember Martha was really busy serving. Nothing wrong with that. She was doing what she was supposed to be doing. But Mary chose to what? Sit at the feet of Jesus. Just sit at the feet of Jesus and lavish him with love and wash his feet, anoint them with oil and, and wipe them with her hair. And Jesus said to Martha, remember what he said? He said, Martha, Martha, um, you're, you're concerned about too much. She says, Mary has chosen that good part. And he actually used this phrase, one thing. He says, Mary has chosen that one thing. And we know what it was to sit at the feet of Jesus. So I'm not at all surprised that this morning while we were gathering together in worship, that there wasn't that refreshing, the presence of God. That was refreshing couple of young women in the row in front of me. One was swaying back and forth, hands lifted, just, just at home in God. And another one was seated with palms raised heavenward. And, and, you know, you look around the room and people are leaving themselves and living in the presence of God. But wouldn't it be exciting if we didn't have to be 
at church. It wasn't a set-aside prayer time. And we could still experience and enjoy and encounter the presence of the living God. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. And uh, that's why I've chosen Psalm 27 as my text. Now, in scriptures, there's a difference, and life experiences taught us. There's a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. And let's just talk about that real quickly. Um, the omnipresence of God is one of the attributes of God. If you've ever taken Instay or Discover Ministry School or have gone to Bible college or seminary or something like that, you were taught about the attributes of God. The attributes of God are who God is in his unchangeable nature. So if I said to you, God is, okay, God is everywhere, that's, that's omnipresence. But what is, what's the first thing that popped in your mind? God is good, God is love, God is spirit, God is infinite, God is, you know, all these things. Well, there are three omnis that are attributes of God. We, we learn those when we study God. There are three omnis. One is he's omniscient meaning he's all-knowing and all-wise. One is he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. And the other one is omnipresent, which means God is outside of space, and he's everywhere at the same time. God's everywhere. He's always, he's always with us. That's the omnipresence of God. Uh, do you remember uh, the passage? It's, uh, I, w- I want to read it to you out of Psalm 139. Uh, seven, it says, this is, begins with 7b. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, sounds like an airplane ride, doesn't it? Even there, your hand will guide me. Where can I go from your presence? There isn't anywhere. Uh, Jesus sort of said the same thing, didn't he? His very last words at the end of Matthew in the Great Commission when he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So, so he's with us always. We know that. Uh, if you're familiar with another, we're talking about a lot of theology this morning. When you study God in Bible, study, in Bible college, you also study his names. And there are seven Jehovah names of God. Anybody here ever heard of the seven Jehovah names of God from the Old Testament? I'm getting, not bad, I'm probably getting 20 hands there. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Jehovah uh, Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. You know, there's several of them. The last one in the Old Testament is the book of Ezekiel, and it's the very last verse of the last chapter. 48 chapters in the book, 47 is beautiful, talks about the temple of God, the river of God, and you get to 48, it starts talking about the city of God, and the very last verse says, the city shall always have the name Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Omnipresence, the Lord is there. But the manifest presence of God, that's different. The manifest presence of God is altogether different. Not only are you aware of his presence, but the impact and the power and the senses of his presence result in any number of physical, emotional, or spiritual responses. And uh, 
Now, I don't want to get too far on the edge of some of your theology, but the manifest presence of God, your senses respond to it. They respond like this morning. We could sense the presence of God. You could feel the presence of God, couldn't you? Now, don't don't respond to this question with peer pressure, okay? I don't want your hand to go up just because the neighbors next to you are going up. If you're here this morning and you could sense or feel the presence of God, would you lift your hand? Now look around. See, look around. There was a, thank you. There was a songwriter born in 1942 by the name of Lanny Wolf. He was a black songwriter, gospel songwriter, and he won many awards, including the prestigious Dove Awards Song of the Year. In fact, Sandy Patty made it very famous in 1984, More Than Wonderful. I don't know if you remember that song. Well, if you would go to the hymn books and look at his name and find what hymn appears most frequently in hymn books, it was the song he wrote called, Surely the Presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power. See, feel? I can feel his mighty power and his grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I See glory on his face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel him. I can hear him. I can see him. That's the manifest presence of God. We have so many expressions of that in Scripture. Sometimes unexpected and sometimes expected. Uh, we've got a passage that you'll probably be familiar with of the unexpected presence of God when, when Saul of Tarsus is on the Damascus Road. Let's look at that, Acts chapter 9, I believe it is. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. There's some senses involved in that, right? He fell to the ground. There's a physical response, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, God doesn't, oh, that's divine intrusion. That's God intruding into your life, and you didn't expect it. And that's the manifest presence of God. But sometimes the manifest presence of God comes because you anticipate it, you're looking for it, you're searching for it, you're seeking for it. him, not it, him, and you want him. And here's an example of that on Paul. A second missionary journey when he goes to the city of Philippi and uh, this slave girl is following him and keeps saying something that he knows is demon-oriented. He turns around, he casts out the demon and, all, and her masters are upset because they're going to lose money because she can't fortune tell anymore. And so the magistrates grab him, they strip him, they flog him, they beat him and they throw them in the inner prison. And uh, this is what it says. What are they doing at midnight? And, and they had been severely flogged. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight. Now, this isn't unexpected. This is a choice. This is a choice that they made. They engaged their spirit. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, oh, I love it. I love it. Suddenly, 
there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. That's enough. So, so the, the Spirit of God, the presence of God can be intrusive, unexpected, or it can be anticipated as you press and move into the presence of God. You know, when a child or a man or a woman encounters the manifest presence of God, it's so wonderful. It's so magnificent. It's so beyond words to describe that, that uh, it's life-changing. It's life-altering. My first encounter with the manifest presence of God, I was 14 years of age. I was not a Christian. Um, some people are surprised to know that there are such things as pre-conversions encounters with God. Happens all the time. I've read many, many testimonies about it. I was 14 years of age at a youth camp, a Christian youth camp, and I was sitting at a picnic table, and a missionary from South America was standing there talking to us, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, now, I wasn't born again, I wasn't saved, I didn't know any scripture, I wasn't aware that you could sense God's presence. And I don't know how to describe it except a warm inner glow, a, a weighty, you know, the weight of glory. Paul speaks in the scriptures about the weight of glory, that mantle of glory, you know, and, and it was altering me. It was changing me. And in an instant of time, I knew God was real. I didn't know Jesus. I hadn't been to Calvary. I wasn't washed in the blood, but I knew God was real. My second encounter with the manifest presence of God, I was probably about 17 years of age. I was a late junior in high school, almost a senior. Oh, blessed night of nights, the Lord came down and saved me. And on that night of nights, eternal life he gave me. At a pool, at an old-fashioned altar, in a pool of tears for 45 minutes, I wept uncontrollably, sobbing, 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 as I was ushered into the glorious, manifest presence of the living God put my hand to the plow, never looked back. And once I learned that the presence of God was something you could apprehend, something that was approachable, something that you could move into and press into, um, I was spoiled for life. I was a marked man forever. Nothing, nothing will ever compare. Nothing will ever compare to the presence of God. So my heart this morning is for you. If you already know that, for you to move in closer, tighter, and more frequently, more continually. And if that's a new thought to you, if you're not acquainted with God, if you're not a Christian, if your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life for all eternity, boy, today's the day to take the first step. So the presence of God, what is it? If you look up the word presence in the original Hebrew, you'll see the word pana, and it means to turn the face. The presence of God in Old Testament scripture actually means the face of God. It's most often translated the word face. To enter his presence is for him to see you, for you to see him with his face. He turns his head and sees you with your face. And it's a sign of God's favor. It's a sign of God's acceptance. 
Now, one of the most famous passages that talk about this kind of thing is Exodus 33, 1 through 3, uh, when Moses is having a discussion with God. Uh, some of us don't realize that you can negotiate with God. It's not always the best thing to do, but there are times. You, you know, David in the scriptures all the time was negotiating with God, arguing with God. And this is, this is what Moses is doing. Now, if the Lord came to you and said, uh, you know, April, I'm going to send an angel before you and take you to do this and this and this. You say, okay, I, I'm into that. Let's go, God. But that's not where Moses was coming from. Moses, God spoke to Moses and said an angel was going to lead him, and he wasn't satisfied with that. Let's read it. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Okay? So now go down to verse 12 through 16. I'm going to skip a whole lot in between. And Moses said to the Lord, this seems so presumptuous. It seems arrogant, doesn't it? Look, God, you have been telling me to lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You remember Moses said, the Bible calls him the meekest man on the earth. And he didn't. What, he was afraid to go talk to Pharaoh. And, and he doesn't feel comfortable being in the lead here. And it says, you've said lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you're going to send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you, be, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. There's that face word, so that I can see your face. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, okay, my face, I'll turn my, I'll turn my head. Your face, your presence, Lord, is going to go with me. And the Lord says, I will give you rest. The cry of hunger for God's presence to go with us is a cry for him to turn his face to us and to give us his acceptance and his favor. Later on in that Psalm 27 that I memorized, it says in verses 7 to 9, When thou saidest, Lord, seek my face. I think we've got it in another version. Uh, here it says, Hear my voice, O Lord. Be merciful unto me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Turn your face to me, Lord. I have to tell you honestly, it is beyond my frame of reference or scope of understanding to think that anybody would ever not want to look into the face of God, to, to feel his presence. To, to have him walk with you, go before you, to be with you where you are. See, once you've tasted of heaven's extravagant mercies, once you've been welcomed by the embrace of Abba's love, once you have experienced the freedom of the throne room, once you have been touched by the scepter of his royalty, once the king of glory has come and given you an audience, you are marked forever. You're spoiled for life. 
And you become what the Bible says in two or three different places, a stranger or a foreigner. Remember the old gospel song? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Most of you don't remember the old gospel song. This world. But it says in Hebrews 11, it says we're strangers and foreigners here. Uh, I think the newer version says we're aliens. We are, we're really aliens. Our, our feet are in the earthlies, but we walk in the heavenlies, in our spirit, in our mind, and in our thoughts. David in the Psalms, he used all different kinds of imagery for this. Two of my favorites, one is Psalm 42, 1 and 2. You used to sing it as a chorus, although if I say that, you probably didn't used to sing it as a chorus. As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O God. That's the deer, the imagery of the deer. My, my favorite one is actually in Psalm 84, and I do think that's one of the slides we have. Psalm 84, it says, for the director of music, according to Giddeth, of the songs, wait, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. Now listen to this. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow, now it's not a deer this time, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow's found a place for herself where she may have her young. And in the original it says, even my soul has found a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Is something inside of you reaching up? I grew up just after World War II was ended, and I loved war stories, and, and I would collect newspapers and turn them in for money, and I'd go around with my little red wagon, and I would, sometimes they'd give me newspapers, sometimes they'd throw in old paperback books, and, and one of the books I read was Run Silent, One Deep. It was an old submarine story, and then they made a movie out of it, and what I remember about that story is the periscope. You know, the submarine is underwater, but this periscope goes up up periscope, and it's, it's reaching beyond the waters above, and all of a sudden it has eyes and it can see. Nobody down there can see. When you're underwater, you're not seeing anything. But the, it's like standing here in a service and lifting your hands. Up periscope. I'm too, it's, it's like an antenna. My 55 Chevy had one of those outside antennas, you know. That was the first car I owned. Uh, I don't know. I don't think cars have that anymore. Are they in the windows or something, the radio antennas? But, I mean, it's get your antenna up. It's get your periscope up. It's, it's like my soul, my flesh, my heart, it yearns for the living God. Oh, God in heaven. The Holy Spirit has actually given us a pattern in the Scriptures. It's, I, I wrote in my notes like a road map, and then I thought... See, I keep dating myself. I thought, they're, they're, nobody uses roadmaps anymore. So it's like GPS coordinates, okay? The Holy Spirit gave us a pattern in the Old Testament, like GPS coordinates. It's, it's literally, if you can receive this, it literally is a pattern. It's a roadmap on how to draw near to God, how to approach God. And I want to show you that this morning. Some of us have had teaching First time I was under this teaching, it lasted six months. I have a book this thick about the tabernacle of the Old Testament. Every single piece of furniture and every single curtain and every single everything, you know, whether it's the wood that it's made out of or the gold that's plated over it or, or, or whatever it is, what, what's carved in it, it's all about drawing nearer to God, to see the face of God as he moves us past the outer card into the Holy of Holies. Uh, so let's look at this picture that 
Donald, bless your heart. Thank you for your ministry back there. He sits back there quietly and works hard during the week and does these kind of things for us. But this is a picture of the Old Testament tabernacle. Here's what I want you to know about it to begin with. It traveled with Israel wherever they went. It was always with them. The tabernacle represented the presence of God. I'll be a little more specific here in a minute. When they camped, guess where the tabernacle was? The very center of their camp. The very center of their camp. It was never absent. It was always the center. And even when they marched, it went before them. The presence of God was never absent. It was in the center of their camp, and it marched before them. And every time the three tribes to the north, three to the south, three to the east, three to the west, forming the shape of a cross with a tabernacle in the center of it, here was the presence of God. There were three primary areas in the tent of meeting. And we'll see if what Andrew gave me here works. I probably... Does it work? That's all right. Doesn't matter. Does, doesn't matter. We're, we're good. I called him this morning. I said, does the church have any of those laser pointers? And he said, yeah. So I put it in my pocket, and it probably was on the whole time. I don't know. That's another thing. I'm not only old. Technology and I are like cross-purposes to each other. I was not born for technology. Okay, so let's, t let's talk about this. In the outer court, Andrew, why don't I just let you point to it while I, while I do it. In the <laughs> so the outer court is the whole area uh, where you enter from the side of the east. By the way, Judah... The, the three tribes under the banner of Judah on the east and Judah was where the tribe Ju Jesus was born from. And it's also the east is what happens in the east every morning. It's the rising of the sun, not only the S-U-N, but also the S-O-N of righteousness. See, there's all kinds of symbology and wonderful meaning in this. But from the eastern side, you walk into the outer court and there's two pieces of furniture in the outer court. There's the brazen altar and then there is the laver, uh, the basin for the laver. Right there. Then uh, you leave there, and now everybody can go into the outer court, okay? If you're in Israel, any of the tribes can go in the outer court, and that's where you're going to offer your burnt offerings and get, get your trespass offerings and be forgiven for your sin. But the priests, they could go into the next area, which was called the Holy of Holies, the holy place, right? No, you're right. It's not the Holy of Holies. It's the holy place, also known as the sanctuary. And in there, there are three pieces of furniture. There is, and I don't know if you can pick them out in that shot, but uh, Donald has pictures of them. There is th there's the table of showbread, which is also in your newer translation called the bread of presence. Then there is the lampstand, and then there is the altar of incense. Oh, my goodness, months and months and months of teaching about each one of these as they relate to the presence of the Lord. So one time a year, you could, the high priest only, the high priest only one time a year could go into the next area, the Holy of Holies. In fact, they even tied a rope to his leg. 
Because if he went in unprepared, unholy, not ready to meet God, because the presence of God, one of the things about the presence of God is the fear of God. Not meaning frightened or afraid, meaning reverence and awe. A holy fear of God. And he would go in there one time a year, and there's one piece of furniture in there, which is the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, maybe you've seen the Harrison Ford movies about, about looking for the Ark of the Covenant. That's the one they were talking about. So you notice, you notice all the threes here? There's, a, there's the three different areas, the Holy of Holies, the Father, the outer court, the Son, the Holy Place, the Spirit, the, tr the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, and the, this is all Old Testament. God had this all in his heart from the very beginning. Christ, of course, is the fulfillment of all of this. Christ fulfills every single piece of furniture and every bit of worship that happened in this place. But the furniture actually teaches us step by step how to draw near to God. And that's what I want to mention to you right now this morning real early. And let's just go through them real quick. The brazen altar, the place of the blood sacrifices, the burnt offerings. Without the shed, the New Testament says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb. His, his blood was shed. There's power in the blood. And if you're here this morning and you haven't even begun your approach to God, if you haven't even started moving toward Jesus yet, you begin by stepping into the outer court, going to the brazen altar, and accepting Jesus as your Savior. And he spilt his blood for you 2,000 years ago on Calvary. He loves you lavishly, and he welcomes you into his kingdom. Go to the brazen altar. Go to Jesus to the cross. There's also, however, the uh, laver in there, which is where the priest would wash before he would enter into the holy place. And Jesus is also uh, the one that cleans us. And the word of God cleans us, it says. And the Holy Spirit, that river of God that washes us, cleans us. And so you have, um, I think it's Titus chapter 3, verse 5, talks about the, the washing of regeneration and uh, the washing of the new birth. And so outside we have this beginning place where you begin to meet God, but then you move into the holy place, and it starts to really get good in the holy place. The bread of his presence. You know, if we could listen to a podcast of Mike's last message, have you ever thought about this? I mean, he, he was here four years. That was like Paul speaking to Timothy. It was his last will and testament, Right? I mean, this was his last chance to say something of purpose and meaning. There are millions of topics in the kingdom of God, under the umbrella of the universal domains of God that he could have spoken to this congregation about. And he chose to talk about the secrets of the secret place. And one of his passionate pleas, you can hear it on the podcast, his passionate plea over and over and over again was get in the word, get in the word, the bread of his presence. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The bread of his presence. Get in the word of God. If you're so busy that a three and a half hour NFL football game can capture half of your day, and you never had a chance one time all week long to break the bread of his presence. Or you can watch a three-day U.S. Open tournament and never once break the bread of his presence. U.S. Open golf tournament. They're good. I love them. I love sports. 
We could use all kinds of illustrations. I have a dear friend. He's deceased now. He pastored First Church in Spokane, Washington for years. Pastor Norman Lelisher, a great congregation. Now his son, Monty, pastors right now. It's an open Bible church, just like this church. Norman Lelisher got up one morning and was sitting at the breakfast table reading his newspaper. And his sons and one daughter, they came out to eat breakfast with him. And he realized in an instant of time by a flash of revelation from the Spirit of God that he was modeling reading the newspaper before the Word of God on that particular morning. He folded it up, put it down, covering his food, and he said to his sons and his daughters, he says, you have my word from this day forward that I will never read another newspaper or listen to the news or do anything before I begin my day in the bread of his presence, the table of showbread, the word of God. That's part of your approach to God. There are times when you're reading the Bible, the word of God, and the presence of God like a bolt of lightning will come out of heaven, capture and rivet your spirit, and you'll be changed forever. The altar of incense, praise, singing, worship, that sweet aroma that rises heavenward. The altar of incense, They'd burn the sweet myrrh and aloes and cassia, the ointments there, that, that beautiful stuff, they, they, the altar of incense. It says in Psalm 100 and verse 2, come into his presence with singing. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his... My mother made a joyful noise. The rest of us would sing. Um, yeah, you, have to, uh, you have to understand about our family. We had a musical family. And my dad was professionally trained. He graduated in music from uh, uh, Pomona College. He sang in the Hollywood Bowl. He would always be asked, his, and he was paid well for singing in weddings and funerals. Um, then he was hired by churches to be a soloist for him, had a wonderful radio voice he sang with. My sister followed in his steps, did the same kind of things. My brother was a master trumpeter. Uh, I was... And also ran, but I also not sang, but I did music. But there was mom. And mom, she told me, I remember, she couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. My mom could not carry a tune. And when she went to church and was gloriously saved and filled with the Spirit and learned that at the altar of incense, you can approach God, you can draw near to God, you can see the face of God by singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You can fill your car with the presence, that sweet aroma, that fragrance of God. She just said, I'm going to do it anyway. And she would stand beside me and sing off tune, and her hands would be lifted, and she just enjoyed the presence of God as much as the rest of us. She made a joyful noise unto the Lord, but it says, come into his presence with singing. And then there's the lampstand. And you know what made it burn? In the Old Testament, it's called candlestick, and a lot of people use the candlestick, but it burned by oil. And oil in Scripture is the type of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's one thing to be a candle. It's another thing to be a candle that's lit and aflame. It's one thing to have a light bulb. It's another thing for electric power to hit it and for it to go on. The Holy Spirit, those three, those three things are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit too. I mean, it's just the Trinity all over again manifesting itself. And then you leave the holy place and you go in to the Holy of Holies 
let, let me just pause momentarily and say this. There are people that are content to be in the outer court, to never leave there. I personally don't understand that. If you're one of those, I'm appealing to you to rethink that. Don't be content to be in the outer court. Move into the holy place. And to do that, you have to do something very specific. You have to engage your spirit to be joined to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to give you another theological principle or two, and this is so critical. It is so important. Oh, my, it's so important. When I learned the difference between the Holy Spirit, capital S, and my spirit, small s, and discovered that, 1 Corinthians 6, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. It changed me. See, most of you probably, in your typical Christianese language, interchange the word spirit and soul as though they're the same thing. So you talk about a person and they say, well, uh, my spirit, this or that. And then the next sentence, my soul, this or that. My, you know... Uh, you think of the dichotomy of man, right? Or of woman, or of a person, an individual, a human being. They have their outer part and their inner part. They have their body, and then they have soul, some people say, and some people say spirit. But that's not what you are, and that's not who you are. God created you tripartite. That is so very important. You are tripartite. You are spirit, soul, and body. I can give you all kinds of scriptures to confirm that. Like Luke 1 where Mary says, My soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Two different things. Different Greek words. Suke and pneuma. Two different Greek words. Or like Acts 4.12. We've all memorized that, haven't we? Where it says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. They're two different things, suke and pneuma, two different Greek words, totally, completely different. Or the great benediction of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where it says the Lord sanctify you wholly. And I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. Your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. So when I say to you, you have to engage your spirit to move through the outer court into the holy place, into the holy of holies, what I'm saying to you is you have to be willing to leave the natural dimension and move into the spiritual dimension. You have to be willing to praise out loud. Praise God out loud. It, you, you know, it's okay to be quiet and meditate. Solitude, that's all okay. But there are times when the Lord wants you out loud to engage your spirit and press through all of the circumstances and vicissitudes of life that challenge us and keep us pressed down and under. There are a couple of folks here that I invited to share for two minutes each about this because 
I often think that congregants expect ministers, uh, officially credentialed ministers or vocational ministers to do that. You know, we're supposed to do that because we're called to do that. You know, we're in the ministry. But I ask Adam and Jeannie if they would each take two minutes and share with you how they move into the presence of God. Uh, because I want you to know this is something that we all do as a family, okay? This is something we need to do as a family, not just in set-aside prayer times, but all the time, on the job. I do it on the treadmill. I, when I'm not traveling and not sick or injured, you know, I do five miles a morning, five days a week at LA Fitness, and the treadmill is a sanctuary. In my car, um, just wherever. Come on, Adam, you want or first? Come on, share with us quickly. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that if you look directly into that green laser, your eyesight will return momentarily. Um, Andrew was showing me that thing about a couple of months ago, and that thing is super powerful. I made it a point not to look at it while I was on the screen. Um, I, uh, it's interesting that the, the presence of God has, the meaning has kind of flipped for me over the last few years. I used to, I grew up in a, a very conservative church. I, um, and, uh, I grew up with a very uh, rigid father who it felt like was always kind of waiting for me to screw up and then kind of knock me down when that happened. And so I kind of, um, I kind of had this view of, you know, I always, I always felt like God was there, right? But I always, you know, for the longest time, I felt like God was there just kind of waiting to pounce. And uh, so um, uh, living with that is intimidating. And, yeah, I had the fear of God in the kind of the wrong way. Um, but I, uh, over the last few years, I've had some really good friends who have kind of shown me that he's there to just be with you and guide you and be your helper. Um, so the way I practice the presence of God is I know that he's there and I know that he's there to just kind of live life with me and guide me through it and show me who he is, right? Before it was, I was, I was intimidated by what he is. And really I kind of had this image of God of, um, what he is is the most important thing, and I've changed that. I've changed that. It's not what he is that's the most important thing to me anymore. It's who he is. He's a God that loves me, and what, what he is is important. It's very important, but I don't, you know, if what he is is this all-powerful, maniacal God is waiting to strike me down, I, that's, you know, of, of course I'm going to resist that in a lot of ways, right? And so I practice God by just daily throughout my life, knowing he's there. I talk to him throughout the day. I, um, you know, I just even the smallest little things just kind of I thank him for. You know, I had this really tough task of it. While I was at work, I was running some conduit up the shaft that I couldn't, I could barely get into the shaft to do my work. And I had this conduit that I had to, I, had, I got it bent up and I was setting it out there and I couldn't reach, couldn't reach where I was supposed to set it. And I'm like, okay, I gotta get this. I gotta figure out how to get this thing marked and cut. And so I set it out there, and it was already perfect. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> the the biggest part of my day where I really enjoy that is uh, he was talking about in his car. I spend about three hours a day during the week in my car, 
And so, um, and it's, um, the, the presence of God part of that is really my favorite because I just get to be totally myself. There's nobody else in the car with me. Uh, I can jam out to the radio with God. I can worship. I can just, uh, I can listen to a podcast and, and hear God say, this, this is what I want for you. Or I can get really upset about something and then God will calm me down, right? Um, there's a verse that I just want to reference really quick. I know yeah. probably we're a little long here. But, yep. <laughs> he was very specific. I really want it to be about two minutes. Um, but it's uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And it's the fact that we know, we know God is there that I know God is there with me, that I can not only rejoice, but I can be gentle in all situations, that I get super overly excited about something, and he'll be there to calm me down. So, Thanks, brother. Jeannie? Thank you. Um, well, I was raised in church a lot like what Adam was talking about. So I did talk to the Lord, and I knew the Lord all my life. Um, and... There was something inside of me that started arguing against that idea that he was a scary God when I was like five years old in that church. And I stayed in that church till I was about 34. So for all those years, I was being taught a scary God. But my, you know, my core where I knew the Lord was saying, that's not right. <laughs> and so I just started pursuing him. And some really hard things happened. So really out of desperation, I came to know so many things about having a relationship with God. And one is aware, staying aware that he's there and disciplining my mind to think about that, that he's there. And so all the time, you know, doing the dishes or whatever I'm doing, I usually have that you know, awareness of thinking about him. And saying thanksgiving brings more awareness, just in case you want to know a, a little way to do that. And then uh, thinking of myself in dependency, but not uh, like beggarly dependency, but like um, beloved child, best friend, um, partner kind of dependency. I don't want to do anything without him. And then listening for him all the time. Songs things somebody might say, if I have an expectancy to hear from him in the daytime, I will. Yeah. I will. It might be driving the car, but it might be something somebody said. It might be a song I heard. It might not even be a Christian song, just a, a commercial on TV or something. He will speak to me. Uh, I ask him questions all the time, and I ask him for wisdom a lot because I, I find myself in need of that all the time. And then I have so this constant conversation going and uh, I wanted to say one thing about, you know, I go through hard things. We all do. And I have gone through some hard things. But um, he taught me that when I cry or just when I have those feelings of just really having a need, direct that to him. Don't just, like, cry into the emptiness of yourself. Mm -hmm. Cry out to the Lord. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to share that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to wind down here pretty quickly. Um, 
I want to tell you about Brother Lawrence. Have you heard about Brother Lawrence, the Carmelite monk from the 1600s? Um, he's, he's really a pretty famous little guy. He was never formally made a priest. He was what they called a lay brother in the monastery. And um, his task that he was assigned to do was to cook and wash dishes, pots, and pans. Now, he did that for over 50 years for everybody in the monastery. But during that time, he disciplined himself, as Jeannie said. He trained himself to, get this phrase, practice the presence of God. And so he wrote about it. He wrote about it in 16 different letters and four different conversations and it is now published as a little book that has remained a classic year after year through all the years. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And just listen to a few of his quotes. He wrote about forming the habit of conversing with God continually. He said, to always praise, love, and adore Him continually. And I even highlighted this. It is a great delusion to think that times of prayer or going to church are different Rather, every minute of every day is a continual conversation with God. He wrote this, The time of business does not differ from the time of prayer. He wrote, The whole duty of the spiritual life is to willfully practice the presence of God. To think of God frequently, to adore Him continually, to focus attention on Him perpetually. We have all been created with the capacity to host the presence of God in your spirit. And if you let him dominate your spirit, man, which is the highest part of your being, then he will move into your soul life, which is your mind, your emotions, and your will. And then he will move into your body or your sense life. You see, our body is our sense consciousness. Our soul is our self-consciousness, but our spirit is our God consciousness. Just think of it. Think of it. Now, I mentioned to you when I started that the Lord had given me a word for our church. When Mike preached on June the 10th about the secrets of the secret place, he had no idea whatsoever that that morning I had been on my knees at home three blocks from here seeking God, and God said clearly to me, speak about living in the presence of God. And then Mike preached on the secrets of the secret place, talked about moving into the presence of God, and he talked about praying, about reading the word, and about praying and worshiping. And then last week, when Jeff and his worship team began to lead worship, do you remember this? You're a good, good father. You call me deeper still from the outer court to the holy place. To the Holy Holy, you call me deeper still. And that song, even though I don't know it, I've sung it several times, three times it says, you call me deeper still, you call me deeper still, you call me deeper still into love, love, love. And then Pastor Chris stands up and speaks from Psalm 37, 4, do you remember? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And half of the message was about how do we delight ourselves in the Lord? 
And if you'll remember, he talked about praising him for his greatness, thanking him for his greatness. He was talking about delighting yourself and moving yourself into the presence of God. The bottom line being that he shapes our desires. And then those are the desires that are fulfilled. And then this message today, the Holy Spirit is telling us as a church to encounter God, to experience God, not in a rational way, but in an experiential way, a relational way. He wants us to practice the presence of God. He wants to, and Mike used these words, he wants us to calibrate. He said that the Holy Spirit will calibrate us individually and corporately as a community to discern God's plan and purpose. We have, we have board members and their spouses that are praying and crying out to God over four resumes. And, you know, you can watch people preach on a video and you can read their resume and you can even interview them either on phone or in person or Zoom or whatever, Skype with them. And you don't know the real person. God knows the calling. God knows the highest part of their being. God knows their philosophy of ministry and how, how deeply they seek after God, the quest for God in their heart. We need as a community to have God's chosen pastor for our church. We need to be praying. We need to be pressing into God, moving into the face of God. One thing, just this one thing, have I desired, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You don't need to be tossed to and fro on the cares of life. As an infant child nursing at its mother's breast, you can rest and repose in the intimacy of God, the peace of God, the joy of God in his presence is fullness of joy. The freedom of God. These are your inheritance as you move into the presence of God. Let us live. Let us encounter. Let us experience the living God every moment of our day. Let's stand together, shall we? I want to ask you this morning, if you have an appetite, do you have an appetite for the presence of God? Ramona, my wife, she has a chocolate appetite. I have a vanilla appetite. Um, we all have different appetites, don't we? But what Adam was asking you to do, what Jeannie was asking you to do, what I'm asking you to do, what the Holy Spirit is asking this church to do is to have an appetite for the presence of God, to purposefully, intentionally discipline our mind and our spirit to encounter and engage the Holy Spirit in the presence of God. And I promise you, once you taste, once you have touched, once you smell that fragrance, once you, once you hear the brush of angels' wings, nothing, nothing will ever be comparable or satisfy you. Nothing. Father, draw us right now as we approach you. Let us apprehend you and your presence and your spirit. Thank you for visiting us this morning with that glorious, refreshing 
time of worship. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. These that are gathered here before you, you wanted them to hear this message this morning. You set them aside and apart for this brief period of time so that they could spend the rest of their life drawing near and running after you. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray, and meet them in the morning, at noon, and at evening. Meet them in their cars, when they're doing laundry, preparing meals, when they're riding a tractor, when they're running on the treadmill, when they're at school, when they're mowing the church property, when they're working with children upstairs. Oh, Father, these that are gathered here in the name of Jesus, we pray that they will move past the brazen altar and the laver into the altar of your incense and your table of showbread. Thank you, Lord, where they can see the light and glory of the Christ at the lampstand. And most importantly, most importantly, move into the ark of your presence where the cherubim, where the cherubim have their wings overshadowing the presence of God. Oh, Lord, we love your presence. We declare we love you. We declare we love you. Thank you for your extravagant love. Thank you for your extravagant love. Thank you for lavishing love on us. Don't let the cares of life choke this out, Lord. Don't let the cares of life and the busyness of life choke this out. Show us how to press beyond that. And Lord, most importantly, I, I pray that we as a people would not need to be in a corporate gathering, a church service, to come into the presence of God. Teach us by ourselves alone to press in, to move in, to have a sanctuary in our car and on that tractor and in that gym, the sanctuary of your presence. And then, Lord, let the effulgent glory of your beauty shine from these that are here and let that, let that glory be like a light set on a hill that cannot be hid and draw people to these. Draw people to Jeff and Katie and to Jeannie and to Jack. Draw people to Bob, Lord. And to Zanina, draw people, Lord, to Roger and Michelle. Draw to Marshall, Max, and Alan. Draw people, Lord, to them. Just like iron filings are drawn to a magnet because the presence of God radiates from them. We ask for this, Lord. We cry for this. Our heart and our flesh cries out for the living God. As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants our soul after you, O Lord. The sparrow has found a home. The swallow has a nest. Even my soul, my spirit has found your altars, O Lord, my King and my God. Fill this place with your presence. Not only the church building, but we who are the temple of the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.